Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Thanks for coming, everybody. Um, My friend wrote a really beautiful book. We've known each other for six years. We met each other at Lambda Literary in 2013. uh, And I think immediately bonded because of our love of karaoke. (laughs) And we have yet to do a duet of Endless Love with um, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. So that's coming. Forthcoming uh, Tin House Books 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here um, with Tommy, who I fucking love so much googly eyes looking at you mm. your beautiful face we're on several group chats together we are. they're very funny and you do not have access to them i told uh, my girlfriend that we had last sagittarius group chat and it like terrified her <laughs> yeah it's me and um and kristen and Alyssa washuda and morgan parker and mm. we just talk cash shit on everything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i like how sometimes i open it up too and they'll be like 75 i think someone's messages. fucking died yeah like i thought somebody died <laughs> okay so i'm gonna read two things um thematically that i'm calling sad gay and horny gay so yeah and sometimes it's the same thing yeah <laughs> versatile <laughs> So we'll start, we'll start off with sad gay, which is also kind of horny. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, this one's about rabbits. Okay, if you don't know anything about this book, it's about um, lesbians and taxidermy. And there's a lot of fucking in it. That's all you need to know. Set in central Florida. There we go, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Movement under my hand broke the spell. Don't stop. Why'd you stop? Fingers splayed wide on her bare skin. I prayed the fluttering away. Let myself think it was an anomaly. Maybe her stomach was upset, something that could be quickly cured by antacids. Here, like this. Bryn moved my palm from where I cupped her belly button and dragged it down lower until it edged the thin lace of her underwear. Shadows licked her skin, dotting her breasts and hips in dripping gray. Rain drummed against the driveway and the wide oaks in a thick, continual beat that slurred into white noise. We were cocooned in a nest of blankets that smelled like my father's aftershave and my mother's lemon talcum powder. A single tap against my temple. Where'd you go? Her nose dug into my neck. She snuffled, rooting around, and I curled my head to the side trying to trap her there. My arms slid around her stomach and then I felt it again, a kind of squirming, a wriggling set low in her belly. New life burbled and popped. I'd felt it there before. We both knew what it meant. She rolled away and propped her head on her folded arm, staring out the window. Yeah, she sighed. I know. That morning, I'd said bunny bunny to my four-year-old nephew as I walked into my parents' kitchen. He was standing at the counter with my mother as she pressed orange halves on a citrus squeezer. I smiled at him, and he smiled back, his mouth a solid block of orange from where he'd bitten down into a stray segment. What's bunny bunny, Bastion mumbled, tongue working around the peel. He choked, and it was a wet, sticky sound. Poor Florida baby couldn't handle the constant pollen, drifting onto all our cars and staining the roads yellow. It made him hack and wheeze, a 40-year-old smoker's cough, pale eyes forever bottomed out with purple smudges. Keeps us safe from monsters, I said. I dug the peel from between his lips, tossing it into the overflowing garbage. Milo, my brother, never took out the trash, said he was too tired when he got home from work. Bryn said he never had time for her, that they never had sex anymore, and I was fine with that. Bunny bunny means good luck. If you say it on the first of the month, everything will turn out perfect, just how you want it. Bastion closed his eyes. Bunny bunny. He held up one finger and blew on it like you would a birthday candle. It rained every day that May, sky drowning the world at four o'clock before the sun came out again to boil the leftover water off the pavement. The world cracked open and smelled fresh cut seeping green over everything. 
I drove with the windows down and inhaled the world. The dank scent of wet dirt at a construction site. Orange clay smoothed into wet puddles at the high school baseball field. The fruity shampoo as my hair whipped around my face. Even the festering dumpster beside a traffic light held appeal. It all teemed with life. There were birds nesting in the eaves of the taxidermy shop. When one of the babies fell out and cracked its neck, I spent a whole afternoon carefully preserving it for Bastion. Every day, my mom made scrambled eggs with sharp cheddar cheese, my brother's favorite. The three of them had moved back into my parents' house on the premise of saving money to buy one of their own. Milo's old room had been converted to a sewing studio, so the three of them shored up in my childhood bedroom. They slept every night beneath the tattered posters that still clung to the dark wood paneling, bands Bryn and I used to like, and movies we'd watched in high school. My brother, who I loved, curled up with the woman I loved beneath my red and white quilt. Milo said he was glad Bryn spent all her time with me since he was always gone, said he knew I'd take care of her and make sure she was happy. He smiled as he said it, never a moment's pause that I'd be touching his wife as soon as he walked out the door. How could he not know, I wondered. How could he think anything less was happening when he knew I'd had her first? Milo's job at the Lexus dealership was 45 minutes away. He got up early, came home late, taking overtime and working holidays. It was a low-paying gig that didn't require any previous experience, which was good because his resume took up less than half a sheet of paper. He'd gotten the job through one of his high school buddies. It was the first time he'd ever really tried, and it didn't agree with him. <laughs> on his days off, he stayed in bed until mid-afternoon and then ventured out to the kitchen for a sandwich before passing out on the couch again. He looked tired all the time, skin grayed out and hair lank with grease. His polos were never clean. Bryn sometimes did laundry, but we both acted like kids on summer vacation. She let my mom do the chores as we hung out and watched TV. When Milo came home, he'd kiss Bryn first thing. She leaned into it so hard I could hear their teeth click together. You take such good care of us, she'd say, drawing a line down his cheek with a fingernail I'd painted for her. Who else would love me so much? No one's sweeter than you, baby. He'd look better then, and I knew it was all worth it to him, the long hours, the driving, just to come home to her and Bastion. Listening in on these whispered conversations, I tried to imagine myself in my brother's position and couldn't make the image stick. I knew what she wanted from each of us, the things we provided. I watched my brother work himself to death, saw how he was still able to be emotionally there for her and wished I could be the kind of person who could do both. I came over every day on my lunch break from the shop, eating leftover crusts from Bastion's peanut butter and honey sandwiches. I like our little family. Bryn snuck her hand into the crease of my elbow, and I'd let it sit there, collecting sweat, mine and hers, something I could take home and keep at the end of the day when I drank rum and Cokes next to the busted AC unit in my apartment. Drunk, thinking about what kind of person I was, taking from the people I cared about, taking because if I didn't take what I needed, I might die. We sat at the dining room table and ate ham sandwiches for lunch. Bastion slurped speckled cereal milk from a yellowing Tupperware. Between bites of cinnamon toast crunch, he touched the little bunnies in their basket with a gentle hand. The kits my father and I had lovingly worked on for several weeks, attempting to perfect the downy sweetness found in mammal babies. My father found them in a cardboard box inside our garage, cuddled in a nest of shredded newspapers and telephone book pages. Carbon monoxide from the car engine. He cupped one in his palm, body the size of a fat dinner roll. When I took it from him, its neck flopped back until the head was lying over my fingers, limp and dangling. Give them to your mom. I stroked its downy back. It was still warm. Makes a good Easter gift. Peter Rabbit, right? We each took two, bisecting the bodies through their tiny white bellies. There was barely anything to remove. They were so young. Their skulls were dainty, the size of apricots. I scrubbed them carefully with a toothbrush, washing their coats in the workroom sink, dried them with a blow dryer on a low setting. Blush from the drugstore stained each round cheek a delicate, precious pink. I darkened the lines of their eyelids with Sharpie. Peter's black eyes were taken from a beaded purse that a well-meaning aunt once gifted me, a look Bryn described as, 40-something soccer mom goes on a post-divorce date. My mother held the babies and cooed like I'd finally given her grandkids. Darlings. She kissed me on the cheek and squeezed my shoulder. Best behaved kids. Bryn turned to my mother and held up the empty cereal box. 
Have to leave for the store now if I want to outrun the storm. She was still in her sleep shirt and a pair of my brother's boxers. The flap at the crotch was unpinned. Pale underwear kept peeking through. I'll go. My mother already had her purse slung over her shoulder. Her long, dark hair licked the floor as she leaned over to kiss Bastion's head. Be back in an hour. Behind us, the fridge clicked on, running hard enough to jostle the boxes of minute rice stacked on its flat top. Bastion set down his spoon and milk drooled from its bowl, leaking onto the quilted placemat. His eyes were sleepy. He swayed in his chair. I settled him in front of the TV, tucked a throw around him peppered with gray dog hairs and crumbs from the floor. He sucked his thumb and sniffled, allergies flaring up again. One of the dogs came up and curled beside him. Bryn and I went to my parents' room because I couldn't fuck her in the same place she slept every night with my brother. What had been my bed was now their bed, a bed for two people who'd committed their lives to each other. I could feel him there between the sheets with us, sad and hurt, and it made me want to cry. We stood in the doorway of my parents' room and didn't look at each other. It wasn't the first time it happened, and it wouldn't be the last. In order to do it, I let Milo drift until he was a far-off spot in my mind, a hazy blot on the horizon that I could pretend was something else entirely, not my brother, not any part of me. Bran leaned into me and let her head fall on my shoulder. Time was always too short. All we had were afternoons, little minutes between work shifts. Will I ever get tired of this? I asked the question aloud, though I already knew the answer. You couldn't get sick of sustenance when you were starving. Mm. What happens now? She looked out the window, hand pressed against her belly. I curled around her back and put my hand over hers. It wasn't warm enough anymore without the blankets, but I didn't care. We didn't say anything, just listened to the rain lessen until there were only drips pinging off the window's metal awning. I stroked one finger down her abdomen. Bunny, bunny, I wished mouthing the words into her damp neck. Okay, so sad, sad gay. I really, I don't really see the distinction between <laughs> sad and horny in that one. I feel like we're <laughs> learning a lot about Tommy, too. <laughs> but also, oh, that part where she's like, you can't, you can't get satisfied, uh, what was it, about, um, of, of sustenance when you're starving. Yeah. So good. Oh. You must be like a writer or something. <laughs> well, now I'm going to read some horny shit. Um... It's probably also sad. Lesbians, am I right? <laughs> um, and Joe Osmondson. <laughs> uh, Lucinda and I met at the bar and holed up in the back, drinking pitchers of shitty domestic beer and making heavy eye contact. As I took that first sip and stared across the table at her, I couldn't seem to care how sorry my guts would feel come morning. I didn't dwell on Bryn or my mother or father or any of the worries that burdened me all day at work. There was nothing but the drinks and the smooth coolness of Lucinda's fingers dragging across my forearm. Why don't you keep taxidermy in your apartment? Lucinda poured us each a taster sip. That's what she called our first glasses, doling out an inch. We'd see how long we could last until one of us broke down and drank it. Then we poured full glasses and really went to work. The pitcher sat between us, a safe space to rest my eyes when I looked too long at Lucinda's cleavage. Why haven't I been to your apartment? I let the smallest edge of the beer touch my tongue. It fizzed there and lingered, yeasty as bread. I don't have an apartment. You don't like taking your work home? She wore three gold bangles on her wrist. The wires were thin and chimed when they clicked together. Light bounced off them with every delicate turn of her hand. No, it's not that. I took my first full sip and let my taste buds weep. You got a house? I live in a condo. I have a roommate. She smiled as I took another mouthful and then took one of her own. You're losing fast today. So if you taxidermy animals for a living and you don't keep any in your own home, what does that actually say about you? I drained the last of it and let Lucinda pour me some more, still stuck on the word roommate and trying to wash it out of my head. It says I don't keep them in my apartment. Who do you live with? The last of her own slipped past her red mouth, lip prints gumming up the rim. Roommate could mean anything, but the way she said it sounded like wife the woman from the gallery, I mean, I'd already known, could tell from the body language, a hand, an elbow, that single stroke of flesh against flesh. I knew what that meant. I'd spent too much time watching their faces when I should have been watching their hands. I poured her more, but she stopped me when the beer reached the middle of the glass. Why don't you keep taxidermy in your house? One long sip for me. I don't want it to feel like home.
two more for Lucinda, who wore a black velvet top that clung to her body like a second skin. That's sad, Jessa. Everybody needs a place they feel safe. She rubbed her finger along the indentation of her lip, and I wanted to smack her hand away, ask why she was turning something that was supposed to make me forget into another agony of remembering. I wanted to kiss her badly. I wanted to feel something else. Jesus Christ, could you just answer the question? I asked, pouring the rest in my glass. Roommate, a word that you could use for a friend or a fuck buddy. Even though I'd fought to keep things casual between us, I wasn't sure if I was up for another person I had to share. Based on the way I'd seen them together in the gallery, it didn't feel like it was over. At least, it didn't look like it was over based on the other woman's body language. I knew what it looked like when you still loved someone after the other person had long given up the ghost of romance. And that woman had longing written all over her butch baby face. <laughs> I have a roommate because I bought the condo with that person and now I can't ask them to leave without dividing the property. Leaning forward, she slipped an arm across the table and dug one of her fingers into the band of my watch. She left it there, wriggling below the face. I don't keep photos in my apartment either, I added. There was no art, nothing but the cheap eggshell paint that they'd slopped on the walls long before I'd arrived. It's just a place to sleep. The finger, still wriggling, slowly worked to undo the band. You know I'm here for you, Lucinda said, thumbs moving into the crease of my palm. Her voice took on an edge. All you have to do is ask. Give me a little, Jessa. Trust me not to hurt you. Trust was a word that carried too much with it. Things were already moving too quickly, unsurprising given the fact that so many queer women you hauled after the first date. It wasn't how I operated, that <laughs> level of emotional openness, but even the ladies I casually slept with occasionally tried to make things more than they were. I could feel it happening with Lucinda. I thought about her constantly ignored her when she wanted attention, then got upset that she might be seeing someone else, knew that she was seeing someone else. I didn't know what I wanted. I exhausted myself. Lucinda took the watch from my wrist and turned it over. My father's, the one he died in. I wore it every day. The band slid smooth from his skin and my skin and my grandfather's too. I could tell her all about me, maybe feed her bits of myself but what happened when you chummed the water was that the biggest predator showed up and ate everything. There was no giving a little, it was all or nothing. Large patches of sweat lined the back of my shirt and ran below my arms. I drank the rest of my beer and then I drank hers. I'll go pay the check, she said once I drained everything and was looking around for more to dump into myself. Outside was dark and unusually still, no noise, not even a rumble from the cicadas. Lucinda placed her hand at the meaty joint of my hip and squeezed, twice. I clenched up both times. It's quiet, I noted stupidly. Lucinda nodded. How come nobody ever sees cicadas? She leaned into me, smelling like the cinnamon mint she always chewed after drinking. What? You hear them here all night, especially in the summer, so how come we don't ever see them? It was a good question. Cicadas always hung out in the tops of the oaks, secreted away in the bark, or tucked below thick clumps of Spanish moss. There was a lot of shrieking, but I'd never seen them crawling anywhere. I have part of one, I confessed, breathing in her sweet smell and licking my lips. The shell is called a carapace. Lucinda's hand crept down to the V of my jeans. She pressed there lightly, waiting. There was no one else outside. The sole streetlight flickered overhead, one spasm, two, and then went out. Darkness overtook us. I leaned back into the side of my truck and let her navigate. She rubbed me gently, then stopped with her other hand wedged beneath the breast. Tell me more about the cicada. She licked the lobe of my ear, sucked at it. Everything you know about them. Not a lot. I breathed out slowly, considering my words. I just have the shell. I found it in my backyard. Every sentence prompted the movement of her hand to a different place on my body. First, she rubbed the tender inside of my forearm, then slipped below the hem of my shirt to stroke the skin above my navel. What else? Her breath was a heavy, live thing in my ear. It was hard to collect the memory. Her fingers crawled over my ribs, slipping delicately beneath the wire of my bra cup. It was under the basketball hoop by the shed. My brother tried to crush it with a basketball, but he kept missing. One finger lazily swept along the bottom of my breast, just barely grazing my nipple. What did it look like? Waxy yellow, like cellophane tape. What did it smell like? With the other hand, she scraped along the seam of my jeans back and forth, 
lightly at first, and then hard enough I could hear the scratch of her nails against the fabric. I took in more air and paused, the memory bursting from static fuzz at the back of my brain. Nothing. There was nothing to smell. What I'd done was taste it, licking a hole right through the middle of the thorax. Bryn dared me to do it, dared me to touch my mouth to the hollow shell, holding it up like she wanted me to give it a kiss. A bit of it came away from the body, stuck to the tip of my tongue. It melted there, gluey, the way that tapioca pearls tasted when stripped of the pudding. Bryn screamed and ran back into the house, leaving me there. I cupped the body in my hands like it might try to escape, too. Lucinda rubbed hard and fast, and I came, teeth digging into my lip until I could taste the copper of blood almost bursting through the skin. I grabbed her wrist when she kept going, and the spasms were undercut with the roughness of my jeans grinding into my crotch. A man opened the door to the bar, and light from inside expanded outward in a bright circle. We climbed into the truck, and I let her take us to my apartment. She drove five miles under the speed limit, struggling over the clutch whenever she tried shifting higher than second gear. Hunched over the wheel, white knuckling on the stick shift, she looked frail and small. Not the kind of person who could bring someone to orgasm in a public parking lot. There was danger in being around a person so malleable. She could be anything I wanted. Sweet, shy, hard, careful, lovable. Her layers were cracking open. I worried what I'd discover about myself if I dug into her too deeply. You're stripping the gears, I said, laughing at her pinched expression. She drove like an old lady. She drove, I thought, like my mother. Get a rhythm going. Sex rhythm. You know that, right? Lucinda slapped my hand when I tried to shift for her. Next time, don't drink so much you can drive. Fine. <laughs> she was cute, weaving all over the road. Cute, but scary. Speed up, we're going to get pulled over. The truck lurched into third, and I clutched the seat, hoping we wouldn't stall out. Back at my apartment, Lucinda asked to see the cicada. I pulled a Tupperware from the back of my bedroom closet and found it shrouded in newspaper at the very bottom of the bin, buried beneath a couple of Bryn's old t-shirts and stacks of Polaroids I couldn't bear to look at. Us at birthday parties, sleepovers, opening gifts at Christmas, pictures of Bryn holding the kids wearing only a nightgown. The two of us crunched together on a dirty, strange couch in purple and pink Halloween cat ears. The shell disintegrated a little where my tongue had poked through, but the head was still completely intact. It sat cupped in my hand as Lucinda hovered over it, drinking the last cold beer from my fridge. Why was another woman always finishing my beers? <laughs> I should get you some art for the apartment. It's sparse in here. I've seen the kind of art you're into. Pass. She didn't respond to my jab, just leaned over to examine the insect shell. Condensation dripped off the bottle and landed on my palm, squirreling down toward the carapace. I tilted my wrist so it dripped on my arm instead. Fine, no art. Put up some photos, Jessa, mementos. Lucinda set the empty on the coffee table next to the others we'd killed. Her fingernail gently traced the translucent wings, tapped at its empty, bristled legs. It's incredible. Perfectly formed, but completely hollow. Its eyes were milky spots that stood out like bits of bubble wrap. I like how cicadas sound, I admitted, rolling the shell back and forth in my hand. They make me feel like the whole world's about to go to sleep. Reminds me of being up late with my dad. Lucinda took off her pants and shirt, opening the bedroom window in just her black underwear. Her breasts were high and small, so different from my own, which sagged like spent party balloons. My skin wrinkled up whenever she lifted a nipple to suck. It hurt a little, but it was a good kind of ache. When she came back to the bed and tried to kiss me, I pushed her away and kicked off my boots, my jeans. I thought about her roommate, a woman just like me, waiting at home for her, and then it kissed her to make myself forget. Forget about all of it. Think only about the body, how it would open for me, be the thing that I needed. She lay back on my unmade covers, still rumpled from the night before. Had me set the carapace of the cicada on the plane of her stomach and the fallen divot between her ribs. We watched each other through the open hole of its body. I could hear the live ones screaming again outside in the trees, high and shrill. When my mouth touched the opening to her body, her chest rose abruptly. The cicada rolled forward, ready for flight. Thank you. Thank you, friends. Thank you. <laughs> um, I love how much gay sex is in your book. Thank you for that representation. Um, so how do you feel having written technically, technically, 
a ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good to create create yeah. a ravioli. Yes, yeah, because yeah. yeah, you know, te- yeah, technically, 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 it's technically. a ravioli. Yeah. <laughs> so, how many of you know Kristen on Twitter? Anybody? A show of hands, yeah. right? So oh. she is an expert on what is or what is not a ravioli. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to open this up with a game, uh, because I'm a fool. And also like, we're going to talk for a little bit, but not for that long because we have alcohol to drink and times to catch up on. (laughs) Um, so I want to play a game with you called, is this, or is this not technically, technically a ravioli? Right. Yes. Okay. Um, a grave. Yes. Technically Technically. a grave is a ravioli. Technically. I mean, technically. Um, when I'm giving a hand job, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> are my phalanges a, a ravioli? Oh my god! Yes, technically they're technically a ravioli. Technically, technically, technically that's a fuck. Technically, that's a ravioli. Um, a volcano. Yes, technically, technically that's a ravioli. Technically, Te- I mean technically, a cloud. Yeah, I'm gonna go yes on that. Technically, yes. Technically, yeah. Uh-huh. The phrase. I wandered lonely as a cloud. Is that technically, <laughs> technically a ravioli? Yes. Okay, yes, yes. technically. Uh-huh. Technically. Technically. Uh-huh. Um, how about the argument that that phrase, I wandered lonely as a cloud, is stupid as shit because clouds are fucking everywhere. <laughs> that would make no sense in Seattle. Is that technically? technically yeah, absolutely. A that's technically yes, a ravioli. Right? Yes. Seeds. Yes. Technically. Technically, technically. yes. Uh-huh. Skin. Oh, yeah. Technically. Technically, technically. yes. Uh-huh. Saying soda versus pop. Is that <laughs> technically? <laughs> technically? Yes. Yes, right? Yes. Technically. Yeah, technically it is. Um, this bookstore. Is this bookstore technically? Yeah, this bookstore is technically, technically. a ravioli. Yes. Technically. Yes. Um, a ravioli. Is a ravioli technically no. No, right? No. Why would you call <laughs> ravioli? Ravioli is so dumb. No, it's not technically. Whatever. I wanted to start this discussion, as it were, with a quote from my mother. Um, her, she texted me. So Kristen sent my mom a book and signed it and everything. Didn't charge me nothing. So first round is on me. <laughs> um, so my mother sent me this text message, and it said, you feel like you're living in it. That's how close it is, like a live thing. It's more alive. It's more than alive. It's super alive and no holes barred real and unselfconscious. It is what it is, fucking courageous. So my mother said, right? Yeah, snaps from my mom. Uh, that's, my, that's my favorite blurb <laughs> from your mom. Which is, I thought it was interesting for a few reasons that I want to kind of get into them. Mm-hmm. First of them is, you know, Florida, Central yeah. Florida, yes. right? And I was thinking about, you know, when you're reading stuff, you're always kind of thinking about why, why this place, why this character, why now? Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of thought about how popular conceptions of California or New York or mm-hmm. the Midwest, like how they affect the tone yeah. of a book or the interpretation, right? Uh-huh. And Florida, and especially in your telling of it, is so saturated. Saturated with humidity and with heat, of course, yeah. and like, and also bacteria and, <laughs> and bugs and the and the pollen and everything. Mm. I mean, is that is that why Florida? Yeah, I mean, I I love your mom saying it feels like a live thing because I think for me thinking about Florida, which is very much home to me, um, like I'm third generation, like Central Florida, and like the thing that I think about when I when I think about Florida is just how how specifically alive it feels. Like it feels like a like a living, breathing thing. Like it is. I mean, it is a thing too, where it's like living in Florida. It's like you. It's like constantly trying to take itself back. Is what I like mm-hmm. always saying. Like right, like like having bugs are just in your house all the time. Like like mm. lizards like a million lizards in your house like the plant life actually is like i have to go outside because the air conditioner will break if i don't like yank the vines that are growing into it like out of the out of the side of it like so there's this like very live feeling although somebody asked me the other day they were like um like what's it like writing about a place where people come to die <laughs> and i was like people, shit that is grim people uh, die everywhere i was like, like jesus <laughs> um but then I was like, oh, I've never really thought about it that way before because I always think about it as so alive, right? It's like this very juicy kind of like, right? And it also feels so physical. Like it feels like tactile. Um, like being outside in Florida feels like hands pressing on you, mm-hmm. I feel like. 
Um, it's just like, it's a like, completely physical experience. And, um, but it is also a place I guess people could do come there to die. Like, right, like all that death kind of just breeds new life. And so it's maybe a cyclical kind of thing like that. But it really, to me, just, and also I wanted to write about the Florida that I personally experience, which is this very lived tactile thing. And I didn't, like writing against like other people writing about the state in this kind of very broad way, which is very interesting to me because like Florida is like Miami is not Orlando is not the fucking panhandle, mm -hmm. but um, like people write about it in this kind of way that it's all like, in, like contained in that way. And that's obviously not how it works. I mean, people who even had books come out recently are writing about very different Floridas than I'm writing about like Takira Madden's mm -hmm. memoir is writing about Boca in a way that's like very different than what I'm writing about, but it's also very physical. Mm -hmm. And then like uh, Jakira Diaz has been writing like essays about uh, Miami. And that's obviously like a completely different lived experience, but also extremely physical in that right. kind of way. Yeah. I also think that people who don't live there or aren't from there or don't visit there regularly, it's the same thing with people who don't know California, where mm -hmm. they think San Francisco is Los Angeles yeah. is San Diego or something like that. Yeah. And you're just like, actually very different parts of the state yeah. with their own identities or mm -hmm. whatever. I also think this idea of it being very alive and being saturated and also being about taxidermy yes. is really interesting. Uh -huh. And I thought like about how you're, you're plucking some narrative threads in there that have to do with like gentrification too, mm -hmm. or like areas being remade, Yes, you know? And I thought it was a, it was very interesting in the in the context of taxidermy and this thing of 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 of, um, of impermanence and preservation. Yes. And I'm wondering that made me wonder something very specific craft wise, mm -hmm. which is like how much of these things fit together as you're writing them, and how much of them are part of the plan as you're going into oh, it. Oh wow! I wish I could say I had any kind of plan <laughs> writing anything fucking ever. Yeah. Uh, the answer to that is no. It's just like what the fuck is happening? I'm like sometimes I'll read back through too, and I'm like, oh shit, is that what I was doing? Mm -hmm. Like oh wow. Ravioli's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it really was like a lot of that too. Thinking. About because I call it this kind of like purposeful amnesia specifically in Central Florida. There's this like way that people are trying to like, like things will disappear and new things will crop up there and then the thing that was there is forgotten. But it's this purposeful structuring, which I think you're right, is like taxidermy is like that too. Like taxidermy is a memory, but it's a specifically constructed memory. Yeah. It's not like necessarily a real memory, it's a construction. And that's like a lot of personal narrative. Right. Well you yeah. you, you 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 fix the thing, you make you open its wing, you know, you cover the the, the holes where it was shot or mm -hmm. whatever. It yeah. it is like um but I mean writing. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's a preservation of yes. kind. It's but it's curated. There are these Absolutely. words that live yes. on in the future, yeah. right? It's a specific construction. It's like trying to like engineer something in a, in a kind of way. Um, and I, yeah, that's like very much like taxidermy for sure. Well, I thought, so there's that, um, there's a passage, I think page 45, um, where you say this was central Flori Floridians do pave over everything so they could forget what's been there before. Mm -hmm. Um, and the park where the Seminole once lived had been raised to build a carnival space, which in turn had been repurposed for a power building that eventually became a Publix, mm -hmm. right? So it's not only the land reclaiming things, like the land, like, I mean, it's not only nature yes. reclaiming the land, yeah. but the land is reclaiming, uh, remaking itself all the time. Yes. And yeah. I think that's interesting too, to have a main character, which I don't identify with this way at all. So I'd use a lot of my imagination, but it's like somebody who's like terrified of intimacy and like only dates people that they don't like because they don't want to be hurt or whatever. Like, <laughs> Stretch. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing yoga for that stretch. Um, but um, but um, but 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 for the land to be constantly like, when you talk about like it feels like they're being like the, being in Central Florida, you go outside, you feel like you're being touched, right? Yes. I can't imagine this is a character who likes that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and to place them there, I mean, yeah. that drives, I think, the narrative tension, right? Yeah. And then there are these ways in which. Um, She's like specifically engineered. So the main character's father commits suicide, mm -hmm. and this is a person who the main character has looked up to yeah. their whole life, mm -hmm. and has patterned their emotional their emotionality after this person yes. in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so then, and she thinks he's got it all together. Everything's figured out. Has owns his own business. This taxidermy this taxidermy joint. She's the favorite. Uh, has a wife and kids, and has seems so stable. Mm -hmm. And so a part of it is like her trying to figure out. Yeah. How, I mean, she's kind of in a moment of ossification, don't you think? Yes. Um, and uh, very much for me, I thought about this because it is like a book that's very like about like loss and grief in a kind of way. 
Um, but I also knew I wanted it to be this book that's like, like the book starts out with her father committing suicide very specifically because I was like, this is a person who's like created a lot of like coping mechanisms or workarounds for things that I mean aren't necessarily healthy. None of us do that, right? <laughs> no, all of my coping uh, mechanisms are totally healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, she's had these workarounds and maybe they're shitty, but they have worked. And mm-hmm. then like what, then I was like, what happens like when something finally occurs that makes it so like those, those don't work for you anymore. Mm-hmm. And then like, that's like the trajectory. Like, okay, like when those things stop working and you're forced to have to deal with the shit that you're having to deal with, like, what does that look like? Especially if you're a person who has like control issues mm-hmm. and things like that, um, which I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're a fiction writer. You're making all these things up. Yeah. Um, and but then I was like, too, because it's like also like people in a family. There's this idea, like you know, like you grew up with these people, and like you have this idea of like I know this person because, but really, it's like you know the idea of a person, and you made a construction about like how they get to be. And so I was looking at like what does it mean for any of these people to experience grief because it's all very different, and like how mm. like one person's like experience of grief would maybe be like a problem for someone else like mm-hmm. also experience grief in that way so it was fun and weird to write about <laughs> families but to, but to write about grief and to write about yeah. death and to write about again taxi all these things um that seem in opposition to each other in such a lively way i think mm. it has a large part to do with the verbs that you use mm. you're a very inventive verber <laughs> <laughs> you know things like they leak and they lick yeah. and they ch- there's so many i mean i love it and it, it made me think that you write with the sensibility of a poet <gasps> tommy that's so uh, would you agree? <laughs> Technically, that's a <laughs> <laughs> oh. Humor is not a defense mechanism. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this, though, like doing copy edits, like I love that you said this because like that was like the mo- one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Whew. Mm. Uh, like copy editors sent back like the thing and they were like, I just want to let you know. Um, and this like amount of pages, you use the word spitty 45 times. <laughs> <laughs> And spitty is not a word. <laughs> and I was like, shit. I haven't turned in my copy edits for feed, and they were due like July 1st, and it's for the same exact reason. Every time I open it, I'm like, you horrible, <laughs> fallible creature. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I want to read a, a little section, and then I want to accuse you of something. Oh, great. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a, I think this is in the, the, there's a page that says, my parents' house sat, and this is again about verbs, mm-hmm. um, or, or like your your sort of Rubik's cubing of language, let's say, because uh, I'm a poet. <laughs> uh, my parents' house sat lit by buttery circles of dueling street lamps. How dare you? <laughs> I invented buttery. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have my publisher contact yours and issue a cease and desist immediately. <laughs> I had some other, like, maybe um, lighter questions that came up as I was reading your book. Mm-hmm. Um, what is an acceptable time to drink a beer? <laughs> the earliest acceptable time to drink a beer. Oh, I'm, I'm, I almost, I'm, I can really tell a lot of myself because I was like, oh, that's, I'm the best person to ask that to, <laughs> and I meant it. Well, um, also, it's something that the main character states at certain points, like, yeah. ugh, I wish it was socially acceptable to have a beer right now, and I have had that thought. So often. Yeah. <laughs> Except I'm, when I'm at the airport, because you can it's always five o'clock at the airport. It's true. Yeah. Um, people are doing a lot of shit at the airport. It feels like the public library at the airport. And I say <laughs> that as a librarian. So um, <laughs> nobody knows what the fuck they're doing at the airport or the library. Um, I say that with love. Um, I think it I love a breakfast beer. I said the other day, I was like, hear me out, breakfast wine. Like, why not? Mm. Yeah. It's like a fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Beer's like bread. Sure. That's like technically toasted jam. You could have both. Which is technically a ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember um, traveling with Morgan once, and she was like, "We." I think I was. She was leaving from LA, and I was leaving from New York. We were both going to Athens, Georgia, for mm-hmm. some stuff out there. And um, she was like, "It's nine o'clock," and I just ordered a wine. And the woman sitting next to me was like, "I hear you." <laughs> <laughs> um, how much? Do you hate writing? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we regularly text each other, oh, fuck, I'm the dumbest bitch in America. What am I doing now? <laughs> it is one of those things, too, where it's like, oh, God, I'm like a dumb motherfucker. Um, like, like, 
oh, it's so bad. Like, it's so bad. Like, I love it so much, but I hate it. It's like a beautiful, mean woman. (laughs) 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 Oh, Jesus. I'm like, love me. It's such a power top, you know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus. It is like, wow, it is... No. It's like this is the only thing I'm gonna let top me. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, what about? Well, then. So, like, I guess the question is, and I get asked this question all the time. Once somebody re- figures out how much I absolutely loathe writing, like, yeah. well, then why do you keep doing it? Well, I think not writing feels like way fucking worse. Yeah, yeah. So, the only thing um, feeling the only worse feeling than writing is not writing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also just like I, when I'm like sitting and thinking about things, like I, there's nothing that feels like that feeling when just like that one, I don't want to say it's like something good. Cause I think that's the wrong word, but like that thing happens where you, where you write that one thing and it, you're like, it's like a click or it's like that thing where it's like that there's something in here. Mm-hmm. I feel the thing that's like inside of it and maybe I can't see what it's going to be, but I feel that thing sitting in there and there's nothing else that feels like that. Yeah. And it's like, well, how long did it take before you understood, before you knew what the story was? Um, it took a little while. I also, too, because, like, the genesis of this was, like, before I writing this, I really, truly considered myself to be a short fiction and essay writer. Like, I was, like, I'd never, I'd never had it in me or a compulsion to write anything this big, like, a bro- that broad. And, um... <laughs> like, what kind of dumb person will write a stupid book? Like, <laughs> a n- um, novel? Yeah. A novel? So I was looking up a lot of like really shitty taxidermy online at the time for fun because <laughs> I found it to be very hilarious. Um, so I was like looking up a lot of it, and so I was writing a short story about a brother and sister who um, attempt to taxidermy like uh, the close family friends like pet beloved pet goat, and they just like fuck it up really really bad. And this was like hilarious to me to think about. And so, like, as I'm writing this story, um, it's like the first time I you can't make a joke when someone's (laughs) drinking. Okay, (laughs) Um, it's like the first time like it got to the end of a story where I was like still I didn't feel like I was done with them. Like I was very much like still thinking about those people. I was thinking about the place. I was thinking about like the larger like world that they lived in. And I was like, well, fuck, I don't really know what that means because I've never experienced that before. I was like, I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of scrap this short story and I'm going to try and write out whatever it is that these, I want these people to do or like the, whatever there is that they're trying to talk to me about. Mm. So um, it took a little bit. I only knew like, cause I also am a writer. Like I'm not an outliner. Like I don't write like that, but I am like a person who's like, I knew a couple things. I knew I wanted it to be a very specific kind of Florida that I wanted to write about. I knew I wanted there to be a lot of taxidermy. I knew I wanted it to be very, very gay in a kind of way that I wanted, which is like yeah. not like a coming out it, it, thing. You succeeded in that. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> I wanted it to not be also like a coming out narrative. I wanted it to be this kind of like lived experience of like queerness, like day to day. And I also wanted there to be like sex in it too. And like mm-hmm. not necessarily this kind of like fraught, like trauma of like women, like thinking about like sex in this kind of way, just like sometimes just like fucking, which is like how people are. Yeah. So um, I knew those things going allegedly. into it. Yeah, allegedly, yeah. technically. Um, <laughs> so I knew those things going into it. Um, and I, I was like, okay. And the other thing I knew too was like the one shape thing. Cause that maybe is a thing I think about too. Is like, what's the shape of something? And I could see the shape in my head is almost this kind of zigzag, like sewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I wanted like the present to be every other chapter and to be like very linear and like up to the minute. And I wanted every other chapter to function like how memory functions, which is like, we don't get to control it. And it crops up. Like you smell something and it triggers a memory or song and you experience a memory. Like you see like a picture of something and it just pops up like a TV commercial comes on and makes like a memory happen and you don't get to control it. So I could like could see it in that kind of way like that. But that was like, so you knew you would be writing different time periods. I did know that. And I wanted them to feel like memory and I wanted them because memory is like, right. You only ever get to experience them through how Jessa does. Mm-hmm. So like anything that's happening with Bryn, you only get to experience like how Jessa experienced things with Bryn because like, memories are also very constructed. Mm-hmm. Like memories are taxidermy. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. um, it took a while getting through it. I also wrote like the draft of it and I was like, I was like, I don't know what this is. It's probably like a bag of hot bag of garbage. Oh yeah. Every so single time. Yeah, yeah. I closed it and I was like, cool, cool. Uh, like if like finish a draft in like November, I was like, I'm gonna look at this in January. Um, and so I opened it up then like hoping like maybe it'd open and be like, Oh wow. Who wrote these little gems? And I was like, 
oh shit, this is a <laughs> shit show in here. Um, but it really was like, okay, I was like, okay, I'm just going to like make myself sit inside of it. And it took a while to like make it into something that felt like it had the shape there, right? Mm-hmm. But it took a long time just kind of like whittling it down or like kind of scraping it into like the thing that it is now. It took. like a considerable amount of time and some stuff takes like even longer right like how long does fucking joanne beard work on something she worked on something for a fucking decade or alexander g yeah right (laughs) jesus um i also thought too because i i don't outline either it wouldn't make sense because it's a poem but like um it wasn't like my experience really and coming to la and like starting to write screenplays yeah it is all about the outline Mm -hmm. in order to sell something the treatment has to be there you have to say everything that everyone's going to do during the whole thing and it was so alien to me yeah and um i was talking about it with Michelle T and she said that she said something about it like um, not knowing how to do craft talks because she doesn't know how to do it mm-hmm. it's just more about writing instinctually yes is that how you yeah, yeah. I mean because I think that's like very confusing right like we talk about craft um, I was like I don't fucking know um, but it really is like a thing where it's like, um, like kind of just writing into a feeling for myself or mm-hmm. not feeling like feeling, but like writing, you know, into, gross, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but writing into like, um, what, what it seems like it wants to do or like into like a space where it can kind of like either expand or kind of like turn into like a different shape. I think shapes is the way I've been really thinking about like my work recently. What do you think of the shape of Seven <laughs> Eleven? <laughs> How would you feel? Is there, I have heard rumors, mm. you know, the streets talk. Mm. I have heard rumors that, uh, you're going to do this like 7-Eleven writer's residency? <laughs> <laughs> or how would you feel about that? And is mm. that something that we could do? It actually is very funny because um, Slurpee slid into my DMs. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we heard you're writing a book and we'd like love to talk with you about doing something. And I was like, contact my publicist. <laughs> Let's make it happen. And so far they haven't contacted Molly, but I, I don't know what that looks like, right? I'm like, do I get like a small table next to the hot dog roller? <laughs> do I like set up shop next to a Slurpee machine? Because if you don't know, Kristen is the poet laureate of 7-Eleven. <laughs> right? I, yeah, I, like, I'm, I've been gone for like a week and a half now. I definitely had to tell them when I was going out of town because if I don't tell them, they think I died. <laughs> and they get really mad at me. Mine is like around the corner and I just got 7-Eleven rewards. And they were like, you've been here every day since September. And we've tried to get, and I was like, I just don't want another card. And they were like, you get free shit. And I was like, you're right. Here we go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to end um, this talk with a quote. Again, I can't identify with, but I thought it was, um, you know, using my image match, which is yeah. like, I call my imagination. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and it's um, want and need. Two words from my dad's letter, from his suicide note. Two words from my dad's letter that meant so much and so little. I never knew what I wanted, and I didn't want to need anything. Better to need nothing. Nothing never hurt you when it left. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Again, no idea what that feels like, Um, but is there, like, okay, the last question that I want to know, I'm, this is very selfish on my part because I'm starting to write a novel like a dummy and like, uh, is there, did you start with like a premise or like a feeling mm. or like a, you know, like, yeah. Um, I think it was just like the kind of a, the ghost of an idea, like the kind of small, like. I keep saying shape, but it felt like I was like, okay, I kind of see something in here. Like, and I knew, I knew maybe that was it too. I was like, I know I want to write about these people and I want to write about this place. So if I know that, then I can write into those people in place and see where they kind of like manage to walk into or like kind of like interact with each other. And that's what happened. Like there was like a lot of things too, where I was like, when I went to write it, I was like, oh shit. Like, I guess this is happening in here. Mm. Like I won't spoil it either, but there's like a whole scene with like peacocks and like, than maybe being run down with a truck. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm writing this now. Like, this is a thing that's happening in this book. Um, But it really was like, um, I was like, okay, I feel, because I didn't know what I was doing. Who the fuck knows what they're doing? Like, maybe, like, it scares me more if someone thinks that they do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it was like a thing where I was like, okay, I I know I'm going to write up these people in this place and this kind of queerness that feels like the kind of thing I want to read as a reader. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I can write into that, then let's, let's see where where it goes. I think not knowing how it's done 
retaining some kind of sort of like artful ignorance or something. Mm -hmm. It's really important for some things. Not if you're like a pilot or whatever. <laughs> like I want some people to know exactly what they're I doing. I want to be surprised where we end up. <laughs> I mean, I, the reason I asked that is because it, I felt like that little passage was like an emotional through line or like a kind of Rosetta Stone for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I started to think of everything in terms of like wants and needs in this mm -hmm. book in particular. Yeah. And I was like, what is just the want yeah what is she i mean i think she's telling us thing i don't think she would be very comfortable with us knowing this much about her yeah you know what i mean like yes. she would hate this like <laughs> narrative eye or whatever she would hate the yeah. gaze yeah she doesn't want to be seen that way yeah I, I think that it's very interesting to think about her too because i think she's like the funniest character in the book because she's like first of all i think like when someone tries to be like that much of a control freak i think it's very funny mm -hmm. the just the hilarious idea that anybody can control anything that's going on in life is very funny but also like she's like there's there's always things going on around her that are funny and she like never gets the joke yeah. she's like pun intended she's like the straight man uh but she's like but she's like she never sees the things that are going on and i find that like wildly hilarious also she's really disturbed in a way that i find hilarious <laughs> yeah. she's just like oh, it's she's like i just like i can't see a person without wondering what they would look like as a, a taxidermy and i was like <laughs> Like sometimes that disturbs me, and I was like, Bitch, "Me too." <laughs> that really disturbs me about you. That's weird. But a weird part, a weird thing about your book, in a way that it works, is that when it started out, that was weird to me. Yeah. And then as I read it, I just I drank it. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, yeah." I mean, I guess that is what a person will look like when they're taxidermied. Like this is totally normal. Thanks, Jessica. <laughs> um, so, does anybody have questions? I this might sound a little weird, but after you say the question, I'm gonna say it back because sometimes like because it's getting recorded through here, and I've noticed that on some of these, it's hard to hear the question yeah, yeah. when you're listening back to the audio. I'm curious about the taxidermy research that you did. Yes. Because I know nothing about it. Yeah. Did you actually look at the stuff on taxidermy? Yeah. Um, I did a lot. The question was oh, yes. about... Um, <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. What was your research like do it for this taxidermy angle yeah. on this novel? <laughs> Mostly dead things. <laughs> Um, I did a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm almost a librarian, so like research for me is like, that gives me like a boner. But um, I, yeah, so I did a ton up front where I, um, I, uh, I watch a lot of videos, which you'd be shocked at what you can look at, and you shouldn't do it at the reference desk when you're on your lunch break, um, because maybe <laughs> people walk up behind you and see you looking at somebody scraping a bore out. Um, but uh, I did a lot of that. I bought a lot of like specific books. I did like I went into a lot of like uh, web forums where people were like, interacting with each other and talking, um, because I wanted to see like the actual language that people used, and. That was another thing too, and it's something like that really made me think too about like vulnerability or like the idea of like what is like high or low art because in this web forum, it's, it's like a very specific kind of traditional masculinity, um, a kind of masculinity that's like generally like making taxidermy. And in these web forums, they'd be like talking with each other about like, you know, like okay, like tips and tricks and things, but then also like showing their art to each other, and that's what they would be like. Here's what I made, and then. There was this like very interesting like tenderness and vulnerability mm. about these things that they made. And I was like, oh, because it's taxidermy and because it's like something they killed, they're allowed to have feelings about art now. Mm. Um, mm. And that was like, I was like, wow, this is like extremely interesting to me. Um, and so like I thought a lot about that and kind of tried to. I did not do any taxidermy. I grew up around a lot of it. I bought one piece of taxidermy. Um, it was a squirrel on a Barbie Beach cruiser. <laughs> and I bought off eBay for $19.95. Um, and then it came to the house, and I was like, yes, I've got this taxidermy. I'm going to put it on the shelf. I'm going to put next to myself where I write. But, like, every time I would get, like, have, like, too many beers, I started wanting to, like, open it. Um, I was like, oh, I just really want to, like, open Yeah, see? <laughs> the more I talk about it, the easier I start to get comfortable with it, Tommy, just like in the book. But I was like, I really just want to see what it looks like inside because I wanted to like, so like finally like one night I was like, fuck it, I'm like opening this shit up. I went and got like a knife out of my kitchen and I was like, I'm going to throw this knife away and not keep it. It was just one I stole from Chili's. But, um, <laughs> um, but then I was like, okay, I'm going to like open it up. And actually it was like so satisfying to me because this squirrel was like fucking buff. Like I was like, this squirrel looks like muscular. Like it was, it's been, it's done a lot of, 
Barbie beach cruising, like on this like bike. But when you when I opened it up, it's like totally hollow, like completely desiccated inside. And so then like thinking about like how this thing was like shaped into the shape it was imposed, but then actually the interior being that hollow was like, wow, this is like so interesting. So then I had to throw all the pieces away because all my dogs like lost their shit after I like tore open this taxidermy in my house. And also the language is not not sexual. Yeah. I mean, these are like <laughs> mounted, yeah. you know what I mean? And they're posed or whatever. <laughs> yes. How did you know when it was time to stop doing research? Oh, because I knew I was starting to do it instead of wanting, I knew I didn't want to write. <laughs> yep. So, um, I, and the thing too is I, I told myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a lot of research up front. But then I knew as I went along writing, I was still going to have to do that research because I wanted taxidermy to be so present in the book and to be like extremely visceral and like so tactile that I was like, anytime I did an animal, I knew I'd have to like, if I didn't already kind of look up what that was like, I'd have to look it up. So like anytime a piece of taxidermy appears that they're working on, I looked up how to taxidermy that thing or I spent time like in a book or like doing research on it. But it really was one of those things. I think I think we all know when we were like sitting and doing like research as a way to be like we went down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole instead of doing any fucking writing. So yeah, like you, I think we all kind of know when we're doing that. Like we kind of lie to ourselves about it, but we're like, bitch, no, you're just not wanting to work on this. Like you just don't want to do any writing. When do you feel like your sadness, no, it's okay, this is a part of it. When do you feel like your sadness stops being the emotion and starts maybe being something pathological, right? Yeah, um, and I think specifically like in this book, I was like trying to explore that. I think when it becomes a thing that you're mythologizing, a thing like where, um, like nostalgia is like a very like, like great, like it's like a dangerous thing. Like nostalgia is this like, thing that's like the, the lure of nostalgia is very heavy for people like it's this way of like really trying to remember something in a, a very specific kind of like fond way that's not allowing for any of like the other shit that's attached to it to kind of be present so I think I mean it's it's hard as a person to know that I don't know mm. like in the writing like I'm like let me know when you figure it out because I don't fucking know <laughs> um but it's a uh, like, in the writing, I was like, okay, well, maybe that's a thing then. Like, when we start to, like, really mythologize, like, relationships and, like, aren't able to, like... And maybe it's, like, when they affect, like, the way that we're able to have intimacy with other... With future relationships. If they're, like, shaping how we're able to have any kind of future relationships with anybody else, then that's... I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about that, too. Because um, I think, like, right, like, first love is this, like beautiful horrible thing that like very much shapes us but then like specifically for like a lot of queer people like first love is this thing that's maybe for a lot of us like secret and hidden already and we don't really understand a lot about ourselves and it's like this kind of like thing that like helps us like we're learning as we're going along so like not only that but it's so it's like becomes this extremely embedded like way that we're like this is how I experience intimacy and it's like so precious and then when it like inevitably for the most part like fucks up or falls apart it becomes this thing where it's like really like like tattooed on our brains about like this is in like I mean good ways but also like a lot of bad ways we allow ourselves to kind of um, continue those patterns of behavior right if the if the if the love or the relationship or the sex itself was like pathologized yeah. to begin with mm -hmm. how do you remember it without also turning it into another pathology mm-hmm let me know when someone figures Stop that out. laughing yeah. at me, audience. <laughs> <laughs> I was, again, hooks are spinning wildly. Anybody else have a question? No. Second best state after Florida. Second best state after Florida. I just have to say California right now. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> well, I'm going to be I'm going to be in Vegas starting in January, so maybe we'll see how Nevada will be. It's weird. Yeah. It's not, it's not bad. It's just weird. It's I'm looking weird. forward to that too. Like a big selling point for me was on that was like, oh, like, like Vegas is also a place where people go, like how they come to like Orlando and they're like, Orlando's tacky and I'm coming here to visit and be an asshole and leave. Um, so maybe that was like, I was like, I was like, we've got that in common. <laughs> Vegas. Yeah. 
Ooh. Specifically, questions for Kristen. (laughs) Thank you. In the annals of memory in this podcast or however this recording is going to go, nobody knew what that person just said. (laughs) I control memory. (laughs) Why did you steal a knife from Chili's? The knives at... No, the knives at Chili's are just great. They're like really good knives. (laughs) So I... Yeah, well, I actually had a set of four. (laughs) There's a gay Chili's by my house um, where maybe sometimes people went and just picked up the waitresses there. I don't know who, but people might have done that. Um, But the... the (laughs) I love gay Chili's, but the knives there are fantastic. Yeah, I get like a set. Um, I've said this here on recording. <laughs> They're not going to let me back at Chili's they, now. So. They go for the gay sex and you stay for the knives. There you go. Yeah, okay. Or like an enchilada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else with a question? <laughs> okay, it's time to drink. Oh, wait, Yay. you have to sign a bunch of books. Then we're going to go. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.